I still say, even if you decide I'm going to show that I'm open to work, I still think you should choose the green banner one. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Dave Fano, founder and CEO at Teal. And on this show, we talk to recruiters and hiring managers, folks that are seeing the behind the scenes of the hiring process. This week, we're with Laura Gassman, who has worked in startups and large enterprises and has been recruiting for quite a bit. We talk about using LinkedIn Recruiter. We go deep into the green open to work banner and the benefits and maybe sometimes reasons not to use it, but does it make you look desperate? Does it not? We don't think so as a little bit of a preview of what's coming, but it's a really great conversation and lots of nuance on how to make that decision. We talk about the deliberateness of job searching, how to maximize job applications. There's a lot out there about networking, but still a lot of hires get made with the job application directly online. And most importantly, how you manage your reputation and your network through job searching. This episode was great. It was a fun conversation and I hope you like it. This week, we're with Laura Gassman, who I got the pleasure of meeting through LinkedIn. There's all sorts of fun connections I make on LinkedIn through comments. Uh, Actually, I think I follow you on TikTok as well, which I really enjoy. But I prefer that folks introduce themselves. So Laura, you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Laura. I have been recruiting in some form or facet for a little over a decade at this point. My career has taken me from internal recruiting to agency recruiting and to internal recruiting again, and now kind of a fractional consulting space for talent and recruiting as well. So kind of been in play for each one of those positions in a variety of different types of industries. Awesome. Feels like you know the ins and outs of recruiting, uh, which is what we want. We want to give people the sort of view of what it's like behind the scenes. So you and I were talking a little bit before and a topic that is often debated, which is the ones we love here, is let's jump into the green banner on LinkedIn. And, you know, I think the core of sort of a lot of the contention on job search advice is that it the answer is always actually it depends. And there is no right and wrong because it's a very human process. And so when someone says it's going to make you look desperate, there are people out there that believe that. Uh, and then there's other people who say, hey, it's going to make you show up in LinkedIn Recruiter more. That's true. That's how I use it. So I think let's kind of like dive into that. And you had some interesting thoughts on the green banner and like kind of what do you, how does that affect you as a recruiter who is actively filling positions? Yeah. So uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's all subjective. You know, one person's truth, it may vary differently vastly from another person's truth. But the green banner is a hot topic. A lot of arguments on LinkedIn. You got to get out the popcorn, sip the tea, because that's there's a lot of comments that are going to be on a post of that nature. Um, so I think the green open to work banner it is an interesting one to discuss. So I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I have had hiring managers say to me, you know, the screen banners up. It, it kind of does look desperate. I've heard those words out of hiring managers' mm-hmm. mouths before. But when you are serving as a hiring partner for a company, you know, an, an internal recruiter or even a fractional recruiter, it's really lots of times you're coaching hiring managers on their own biases as well. So 
tactfully addressing those. Um, so not sugarcoated there. I have heard it come out of a hiring manager's mouth before, but I think the major controversy that we see is recruiters saying, put it up, don't put it up. Job seekers saying that they their career coach told them to do this versus recruiters are saying this. It's, it's all very, very confusing. But let's kind of dial it to how recruiters use LinkedIn. Right. I think that's key because I think people miss that part in the conversation and they they just talk about the banner and the perception of the banner. But the truth is that has like system level implications and there's actually different ways you can do it. And how recruiters use LinkedIn is not how we use LinkedIn. There's actually a whole separate software called LinkedIn Recruiter, and it has a huge impact there. Absolutely. So LinkedIn, it it, it has different services that you can pay for. Premium is one of them. LinkedIn Recruiter. There's, um, what is it? Like Business Navigations, I think. It's sales called. Navigator. Yep, Sales uh, Navigator. LinkedIn Learning Alone. So they've got a whole bunch of tiers. But their biggest moneymaker by far is LinkedIn Recruiter, which is like we, we pay for it at Teal for hiring. Yeah. And it's not cheap. It's not cheap. No, it's <laughs> it's it, it, Let's just say it starts in the tens of thousands. Yeah, it's not cheap at all. And so if somebody has a paid subscription to LinkedIn, like the recruiter and even some premium users, you can see when somebody is open to work, if they have open to work selected. Now that is going to look one of two different ways. Either somebody is going to be open to work and they don't want like the public to know that's not a paid user. So they can select that they're open to work, but they're not going to have that green banner to advertise it to everybody. Or you can select that you want to publicize it to everybody. And that's when you have that green banner right there. So if you select open to work either one of those ways, whether you publicize it to everybody or you just publicize it to those with the premium paid services for LinkedIn, people are still going to know if you're open to work. So when you talk about the green banner, there's that. So as a recruiter, when I'm using LinkedIn recruiter, when I'm doing my Boolean strings and searches, I'm looking for people with, whether it's this education level or a keyword of... I need you to know how to use this software or specifically I'm looking for somebody that has experience in DEI practices. So maybe I use keywords surrounding that. There is quite literally a drop down menu where you can filter out all the searches that you found for candidates that match that. And you can use the drop down menu to first look at people that are open to work. And open to work candidates and job seekers, they have a significantly higher response rate to your in-mails and your outreach. So I think from a standpoint of working smarter, not harder, I think the majority of recruiters and the majority of my friends that are recruiters that I talk to, they're going to select those open to work first. And so whether you have it publicized or not publicized, mm-hmm. if somebody has one of those paid services, they're going to see that you're open to work if you have that selection made. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like, let, let's let's actually now take a step even further back, right? If you're hiring internal, external, I don't think at this point it makes a difference, but we should talk about that because you've done both, is you get what's often called like a requisition or whatever, a, a, you know, an assignment. And it's to you know, you get given a role and like you go, go find this person and sure, hopefully people apply, but a lot of what recruiters do is the outbound, right? It's not just looking at the stuff that comes on the inbox. 
from people applying. People do look at those as well, obviously, but a lot of it is outbound. And t- talk us through that a little bit so people understand. Like when you say, oh, they don't, you know, the response rate, you know, like the, the messaging people who are, you know, sort of going about their day and they get, you know, what some people think it's spam, you know, some of us do get spammed with the recruiters, but you're trying to get a response because you want to fill this position. Absolutely. So you're, it, it's like playing tag. Tag, I'm tagging you. Like, uh, I'm trying to make you be it. How am I going to chat with you and start com- like conversation about this role? So when you talk about response rates, it can honestly apply to both inbound applicants. So active job seekers is what they're called or active applicants. Or it the response rate can also apply to candidates that you source, passive candidates, passive job seekers. Um, that's where the term head hunting comes from. It sounds like a horrible term. Yeah, it really is. I am hunting your head because you have the qualifications visibly from what I can tell without talking to you for to fulfill the qualifications for this role. Um, so the response rate, when you talk about response rate, it's it's getting somebody, hey, I realize I'm it. Now I'm going to try to tag you back and we're going to start that conversation back and forth. It's, I feel like, no different than a response rate for a candidate. So if you're actively applying to jobs, when you hear back from the recruiter, that would be your response rate as well. So one thing I've experienced is even though people have open to work on, the response rate is really low. Does it go to a different inbox? Because they're in mails. They're not the same as like a connection DM. And so like LinkedIn does show. So is there something that candidates can take away from this, like a certain inbox they should be checking or if there's like signals they should look at for like how real this is versus spam? Because there's also a lot of like phishing and scamming happening for unfortunately like the vulnerable job seekers. So typically it does say in bold in your um, messaging box, it says in mail, in bold, and then it will tell you the subject line if this person chooses to put a subject line in it. So lots of times when you're getting those in mail, unfortunately, a lot of them are viable, accurate recruiters looking at to reach out to you. But, you know, some of them can be spam as well. It is very difficult sometimes to differentiate, but definitely going and looking at this individual's profile that is reaching out to you can help you see some red flags potentially of whether this is spam or not. And, you know, that that point of conversation, how that person responds to you if you reach back out can also be very, very telling too. Yeah. And when it comes to LinkedIn recruiter, like I'll say like one of the first filters, so I put in my main criteria What I usually do is I'll do like a keyword or a skill, a job title, location. And the other I the other one I use for proxy of years of experience is graduation year. Uh, Like those right now are the four filters I'm using. And then from there, the next button I hit is open to work because it actually cuts down the volume by like a third. So I was doing yesterday one looking for an engineer and the initial result was like 50,000 people. There's no way I'm going to filter through 50,000 people. So then open to work, took it down to 12,000. I'm still not going to look at 12,000, but I, and I'm like, I'm not going to go write a bunch of people that aren't open to work. I'm going to be annoying them. They're happy at their job. So I'm going to go to open to work people first. And I don't even think about whether the banner is up or not. I just want that data. Absolutely. And you know, this open to work selection, actually, it, it does bring up a new feature that LinkedIn has recently implemented 
which is another way that recruiters can filter out candidates. And that's when candidates or job seekers go to a company page, scroll to the bottom and select show I'm interested in this company. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another way that I've started filtering through candidates, because if you're interested in this company, I know you already know who the company is. And probably if you're open to work and interested in this company, the response rate is even better for me. Yeah. Another thing LinkedIn Recruiter has is it has this, so they break people up into three sort of buckets. It's like open to work. Then they have this field called likely to respond. I don't know. I'm going to dig into how they're doing that, but I'm guessing if you like follow the company or if you've taken some activity that, so I need to figure out how they do that. And then there's kind of like everyone else. Uh, And then, you know, kind of interested, they've shown interest. So as a recruiter, ultimately I want a high success rate. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to email a bunch of people or DM a bunch of people or in mail or whatever it's called (laughs) that aren't going to reply to me. So I think as the candidate, the way you can use this is whatever signal you can send to the company and to let LinkedIn know to put me at the top of the pile, do it because it's a good thing. Absolutely. But I mean, even looping back around to the green banner and you and I talked about how expensive it is for companies to have LinkedIn recruiter seats, you know, I think there's maybe one occasion where you don't want to use the green open to work banner around your photo. And that's if you're currently employed and you don't want to get fired from your job to show that you're looking. But I still say, even if you decide I'm going to show that I'm open to work, I still think you should choose the green banner one because there are organizations. I mean, my last company that I was at, um, because it was so expensive and we chose to go through other sourcing tools instead, I was doing the thing, doing the recruiting without using the LinkedIn recruiter. I had a premium. And so there's a lot of individuals that are working at organizations that maybe don't have the budget for LinkedIn recruiter and they can see the green is up. On top of that, it helps with your peers. And you see people all the time, they'll see like a recruiter has a position posted and maybe they'll tag somebody in it that they know is looking. So it's a great way for your peers to know that you're looking as well to help point you in the direction too. So I am team green banner and team, if my hiring manager says it looks desperate, they're going to get a lot of education from me that day about how not to be biased. So, look, I, I love it. And I think I want to talk through more like reasons on it. Like, let's, let's talk about the negatives, because I think those are actually quite a few. So I think you brought up if 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 you're currently employed, don't do it. Yeah. In a perfect world, you should be able to look for jobs while you're employed. But there is a kind of expectation of employment monogamy <laughs> that is absolutely that, that is real. Right. And and also look at the practical version of that. Just like play it out. I hire I, I you know, I run a company. If I knew someone was looking while they were employed, my only practical thing to do and my obligation to the rest of the company and my investors is to find start finding a replacement. So it makes sense. Ideally, in a perfect world, you could, but that just doesn't make practical sense. So really, if you're currently employed, you know, unless you're doing something kind of as a broader statement and the company knows, I don't recommend you have the green banner on. You know, there are people who are sort of like hiring snobs. I got in a huge DM fight with someone about what time I posted to do it and how it was horrible advice. And, you know, and I see they look desperate. The idea of desperation is it's one that it it, it goes beyond the green banner. Right. I I do think that it's a valid observation. You no one's going to hire you because you need a job. 
Correct. Right? And so I, other versions of like things that are more indicative of desperation is like, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to be kicked out of my apartment. Those are sad on a human level. That's unfortunate. And I would really, I will donate money to you. But that said, that's not going to be the reason I hire you. Right. Yeah. I mean, the universal truth, it doesn't matter. The one universal truth that I will always say for every single recruiter is they find people for jobs. They don't find jobs for people. Right. If you call yourself a reverse recruiter, you're not a recruiter. You're a career coach. Like, just call it what it is. You you help job seekers. So, you know, I can have such empathy and compassion and want to help somebody so much. But at the end of the day, if my client or my company does not have a position that this individual is qualified for, I can't find a job to place you in. I have to find a person to place in a company and it has to be a match. And I had this conversation internally the other day. I said, look, it felt like in this conversation with a candidate, they were more worried about getting a job than working at Teal. And that might be fine for some people. Like, we're a small startup. Like, I want someone to be here because they want to be here. Like, they need to be good. And so I do think that there is a risk of just signaling, like, I'll take any job. And I don't think that necessarily serves you. I think you're, you know, you're better off talking about why, what value you can contribute. I, I don't think like the... I really need it. Like no one's going to hire you because you need a job. I think you said it exactly right. Recruiters find people for jobs, not jobs for people. And so I do think that looking desperate is not a good thing, but I don't think the green banner makes you look desperate. Like those two things are not equally true. Correct. They are not synonymous at all, at all. I do think like the looking desperate is something people should be mindful of. And and again, that's not, I, I do think that can hurt you actually. And you know, people can make projections and have sort of unfortunate intuitions on on that. But again, it's more than the Green Banner. So I don't think the Green Banner does that. But there are people that believe it, you know. So I also don't want to say it's like an un, it's a it's an absolute fact that we're, if you put it on someone's not going to think you're desperate. They might. Those people exist. And it's for you to decide if you want to work with people that believe those things or not. Correct. Other than that, I mean, I can't really think of any other negatives I think maybe the other negative is when you have the green banner up, you're going to be and like, just like if you are a recruiter that posts that they have a role open, you are going to get incoming, Mm. I call them pitch slaps. You're going to get pitch slaps from C to C recruiters, agency recruiters. Hey, I can help fill this role for you. So just like if you're a recruiter that posts an open job of, hey, I'm filling this, are you a good fit? And you get pitch slapped by inbound people trying to sell you a service. If you are a job seeker with the green banner up, you might, that's probably a negative. You might get, you're you're advertising, you're looking for work. And so you may get some inbound pitch slapping scams. So that may be the other negative that I can think of. But when you look at the positive of being able to be recognized that you are going to quickly respond and you're ready to work tomorrow, I I think the positive outweighs the negative. Yeah. So now let's talk about some of the other positives, because ultimately I want to the goal of this show is for people to be able to make their own decisions and give you more insights into the judgment of the folks who are making hiring decisions. So positives are not all your friends know you're looking for work, right? You may do that one post that you did 
but social media moves fast. And so if you did that post, hey, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And you did a good textbook. I could use your help landing a job post. But that's just going to like sort of get lost in the, like the fast river of LinkedIn stream. So no one's going to know that. And so if you are engaging and you, people say, oh, yeah, that person's looking for a job. I know. I remember we worked together and you'll tag them or something. So I think that's a huge positive. Yeah. Your network is aware. If you follow and engage with recruiters or whoever on LinkedIn and you post thoughtful, like intelligent comments, like we're all victims, I'd say, to social media of clicking and being nosy and going from here to there. You know, sometimes I get on LinkedIn and I'll click on somebody and then I go to the right and it's like other people you may look at and I click on that person. So if you're posting thoughtful and engaging comments and and somebody's like, oh, interesting, this person is open to work and it says supply chain executive in there and my company is looking for that. Like you may get that click that you may not otherwise have gotten for somebody to view your profile and see organically they found you rather than just through LinkedIn recruiter. I think another positive you called out was not everyone pays for LinkedIn recruiter. Like, you know, we at first at Teal paid for recruiter light, which is a lot cheaper, you know, like a hundred bucks a month or something versus a thousand bucks a month. But I could not filter for open to work with LinkedIn Recruiter Lite. And so it was great to be able to visually see. So a lot of smaller companies can now see that you're open to work. Again, I do think that opens you up to spam, which is kind of obnoxious, but I do think that that's another benefit. Yep, 100% right there aligned with you. Other people that are not paying astronomical costs can find you and help you and either place you or reach out to you about a job or facilitate a connection for you to help find something. So I, I, like I land on the on the again, if you're unemployed or you can be overt about you're seeking the banner on, if you're job searching and you're employed, turn the feature on. Just don't turn the banner on. That's kind of where I land. I would not recommend if you are searching, putting that green thing up if you're trying to be confidential about it. If you've talked to your employer and you're like, hey, if they're on board and you've had this very transparent conversation, number one. I don't know why you're trying to leave this amazing company <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that is this amazing to you. But if maybe, I don't know, maybe you've reached the glass ceiling there and they know that and they don't want to lose you, but they want to see you be happy. And you've had a conversation that you're going to start looking and they're cool with it. Put the green banner up. If your employer does not know and you are confidentially trying to find a new job, I would just make the selection and not make that you're open to work public to everybody and just for paid subscribers. Yeah, 100%. All right, so keeping with that same sort of theme, though, uh, a topic you're interested in talking about is the kind of transitioning. So, like, let's talk about job searching while employed. And there's a few tactics you can take there. But as an example, say, like, look, this is taking too long. I just want to put my banner up. I'm going to quit. So now I can, like, full, I can job search full time because I'm working and I don't have the time. That could be a route. But let's talk a little bit about job searching while employed, and especially as a recruiter, you're engaging with people that are employed, potentially open to work with the banner off. Like, what are the the tactics that someone should be mindful of when job searching while employed? Oh, man. Like the good tactics or the negative tactics? Either. What should you avoid? What should you do? I mean, look, on the hiring side, there, there's a lot of signals that get sent out that I think you need to be mindful of when you're job searching while employed. And if not careful, then I think people will sort of get paralyzed and then don't job search, stay in a job. And it's a downward spiral of being like really unhappy and having a whole bunch of other negative effects on your life. 
So I do think you need to take the actions to get out of a situation that's not great. Now, I've seen a lot of different reasons. Like, you know, sometimes people are worried the company's going to do a layoff. And they're like, you know what? I, I can't deal with that uncertainty. So I'm just going to leave. I don't recommend that, actually, because I think a paycheck is better than no paycheck. And just take action. Start job searching. You know, take control. And control isn't just like cutting it off because it's uncomfortable. Again, that comes from a place of privilege to be able to say something like that. And if you're in a really bad situation. But generally, I think ceasing money coming in is tricky. But that might be the thing you want to do you know, and transitioning out maybe the route you want. But I do think that there are proactive actions you can take while employed. You can interview. I don't think taking interviews during the workday is cheating on your employer. You know, (laughs) I don't think that's like a thing someone can do. I mean, how many times have you eaten lunch at your desk because you can't get a break? Well, you know what? It's time that I get those hours back that I've been eating lunch at my desk and I'm going to go walk out to my car between 12 and 1 and have a video interview with a potential new employer and nobody's going to know about it. Like, your employer owns you for 40 hours of your week. That is it. That is it, unless otherwise stated in your employment contract. So... It it can be difficult. Yes, you're not going to be able to do seven interviews a day as if, which God bless anybody doing that (laughs) if you were unemployed. But, you know, you can be a lot more strategic and tactical when you are currently employed. So I think that's that's one of the really great things about maintaining employment when you're passively seeking a new role is what they call it, is that you can really dive deep and really be more particular about what you're looking for. So when you are unemployed and you see those posts, I've been, like you mentioned earlier, I've been unemployed for seven months. I'm, I have no, my credit card, I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. Um, you are not at that point of desperation. Right. You may be desperate to get out but you still have that paycheck coming in. So if something isn't the right fit, you don't have to accept that offer and then just be in a position again where you would be passively seeking when you're currently employed anyway. So you can really dig deep and think, you know, what makes me unhappy at my current position? Mm -hmm. Is it because my manager doesn't give me enough autonomy? Is it because what I do is monotonous and I'm not challenged? Do I not have the right mentor? Do I need more flexibility? So you can really uncover and, and think about what it is that's making you unhappy so that you can strategically make sure that you don't put yourself in that scenario again, rather than taking your next role out of desperation. What about interviewing, right? I think the interviewing is a tricky one. And this has always been this, look, I think this is one of the benefits of remote work. Employers and other like founder friends of mine probably would say like, well, that's exactly why it's a problem because it's so much easier for candidates to interview in a remote world than, you know, having to say like, I think it sort of forced everyone to be liars in a really uncomfortable way, which was this natural friction that benefited the company. If you had to say, well, I have a doctor's appointment. It's like, I don't want to lie, but I can't say. Yeah, and it's like that day your employer knows you're going to an interview because that day your hair was done and makeup was on and you look nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like a joke, right? Someone was like extra dressed up. It's like, oh, where are you interviewing today? It's like, no, no, for real, for real. I really I have an important meeting. I promise I'm not interviewing. So I do think remote is a huge swing in the advantage to candidates over companies. And a good one because it was this sort of natural friction that kept people from not looking and gave companies a bit of 
bit of a free pass as a way to keep unhappy employees because it was such a huge barrier to getting people to job search. So I think that's a really positive thing, but still timing is weird, right? Your people can see your calendar. Some company might have public calendars. You might be really busy during the day and it's hard to step away. Like, can people ask for like a later in the day interview? Because that's all, this is like this funky tension, right? Recruiters work business hours. I need to recruit. I need to take interviews during business hours, but I work during business hours. So are there things people can do there if they're having like scheduling challenges on interviewing? Because I do think speed to hire, like you got to be quick to respond if you're actually interested. Yeah, for sure. You know, after hours is a tricky one. So as a recruiter, it was several months ago, I collected all of the after hours interviews that I had scheduled and I looked at the no show rate and I was like, Mm. This is not worth my time anymore. No, interesting. Like, I think it was something astounding. It was like 70% of people that I scheduled for hours outside of my normal working hours for interviews were no call, no shows. It was bananas. It was bananas. Um, but it makes sense. You know, like I don't want to take these calls after hours. A candidate that's worked all day probably doesn't want to either, but it's not impossible. There are absolutely recruiters that you know, especially if you're a candidate that like meets all of the desired qualifications and the preferred ones as well, I will go out of my way to hunt your head (laughs) if you are the right fit for a position that's otherwise pretty hard to find the right skill set for. So I think it's it can be complex, but I think it's just the transparency behind it. You know, being over communicative is a lot better than just not at all. So, you know, if it's picking up your phone, maybe you think a client's calling and it's actually a recruiter calling to talk about an opportunity like, hey, yeah, I'm at the office right now. Can I give you a call back in 30 minutes when I can step away from my desk? So you can still kind of be a little bit sneaky if you have to do in-office work and you're not remote and still be communicative. But I think it's just being transparent throughout the process and, and any recruiter will understand, especially if you are like, they're gung-ho excited about you and you meet all the all the check marks, you know? Mm. So that's, I mean, that's, I think whether you are employed and passively being recruited or actively recruiting, I do think that you just used a word that I think is really important is showing you're excited. And I think it's one of these things you can't like really put on a resume and it maybe not isn't going to get you. I mean, you can actually in your application. I see it all the time. Like I, I do read all the custom fields and people, I think, they're like, I'll just refer to my LinkedIn, refer to my LinkedIn. It's like, well, if you're going to put in the minimal amount of effort, I'm going to put in the minimal amount of effort, even though some of these things do seem like annoying and bureaucratic. What are things you look for that are indicators of excitement from the candidate? Oh, man, this is a controversial one, but it's it's doing the research on the company. You know, if I'm cold out reaching out to you, I don't expect you to necessarily know who we are and what we do. But if we have had an interview that's been on the calendar for over 48 hours, you can at least like in my outreach, I include our company website. I include Mm -hmm. our company LinkedIn page. I include the press page for the company so you can read more about us. I'm not asking you to take four hours of prep, but if you can at least kind of pair it back or regurgitate back a little bit about what the company does. Um, when I ask you in the beginning what you know, that that's great. But the reason that's so controversial is because, you know, on a dis- exploratory or discovery call, recruiters and good recruiters, it's our job to educate candidates on the company. 
So if you don't come having done any research whatsoever, like I'm going to make sure you're informed at the end of that call. But I, I still think the excitement definitely is is seen when somebody has done a, at least just a baseline level of research on the company. I want to dive into these topics on this show because I think a lot of things are controversial and we're at a we're at a funky moment in kind of how we talk about work and work-life balance and expectation and what you kind of have to do. And I think the part that gets missed in the discussion, and I'm going to sound like a broken record if folks have watched a lot of these shows, but it's like, you don't have to do anything. You actually don't have to do anything. You don't have to use LinkedIn. You don't have to have a LinkedIn profile. You don't have to have a resume. You don't have to engage. You don't have to do anything. Only thing you have to do is meet basic qualifications for a role. That's it. <laughs> well, again, it, it, you don't even have to do that. You're just not going to get the job. Yeah. Right. And so I think that having a clear focus on what you want, right? Okay. What do I want? And then what are just sort of the most common expectations in the market? And if I'm not willing to do those, then I'm not going to get what I want. Right. And so if I want this job, the indicator is going to be to show the person on the other end of this call that I'm actually interested, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's take it to like the basics of life. And I think people, because job searching is so connected to like my identity as an individual and I want to feel valued and my time. And and so I think it gets wrapped up. But if we can sort of take all that away and just see it as a sales process, if I was going to go buy a car and this car salesman just ignores me, I'm like, I don't want to work with this person. Right. So these things are not that different. No one says you have to do it. You don't have to do anything. But if you don't show the like the slightest iota of interest, then I'm like, oh, wait, shoot. Let's kind of like play that out. I as the recruiter. And now I'm going to go take this person and, and recommend that a hiring manager meet with them. And the first thing the hiring manager is going to say to me is like, that person wasn't even interested in this job at all. Why'd you why'd you introduce them to me? Like they had zero interest in being here. Right. And so it's like you don't have to show you're interested, but you're going to make it very hard for me to like lobby for you and you know encourage a hiring manager to meet with you if you don't get me excited that you want to be here. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes both ways. You know, the expectations of candidates when they're interacting with a really great recruiter is they're probably more excited when they get off the phone. And so it goes the recruiter to candidate way as well. Like I get super jazzed when somebody has done the research, you know, they explain their background with a passion, they explain what they're, they really know what they want in their next role. They're transparent, you know, it's got a natural flow to it. So just like a candidate can get off a phone with the recruiter and be like, this company sucks. (laughs) I was talking to a robot. Recruiters feel that way about candidates too. I will say the caveat is like, um, accounting professionals, like I don't expect them to be really excited ever on the phone. Like occasionally I'll get one that's like, really, I'm like, wow, you don't have (laughs) the personality of an accountant, but it's definitely industry and position. Then the bar is low to stand out, you know? Yeah. Like I I look for like passion in their craft. That's like number one for me. It's like, do you like what you do? Um, And not everyone has to like their job, but at least at our stage and company, like I want people who like what they do. And then bonus is like, you're pumped about what we do, you know, and you like the problem and you're excited about it. You know, when we, before we started recording, you talked about how much like the CBD industry or sort of the, the, the cannabis industry is a, is a passion for you. Like you believe in like 
the benefits to people. And like, that's just going to come through. Like I, after that conversation, like if, if Teal was a cannabis company, I'd be like, I need Laura on this team for sure. Like you just care so much about this as a category and a topic, like regardless of function, suit up, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And like, if I'm interviewing you for a leadership position, like being passionate about the development of others and others learning. So it doesn't even have to be, like you said, for Teal, where y'all are at right now, you haven't been in business for 27 years, you know? So for some companies that have been around longer, you don't necessarily have to have passion for that company. Maybe that's not a requisite we're looking for, but I want to hear you excited about something. I know job seeking is exhausting, but we're two people getting to know each other. And it's like, at the end of this phone call, it, it should be like, I, I call them business best friends. You should be my business best friend and we should feel some type of way about each other. Like it, it should be a good feeling and we should both be excited at the end of it. So I'm going to bring my A game and I'm going to match your energy. And that's the best way to go about it. And that's probably how you'll land around roll quickly is being intentional and passionate about your job search, regardless of how exhausting it is this day and age. It's a crazy market. It's a crazy market. And I, and, and I can be empathetic. I get it. I, like I live it every day and I, you know, it's like, I don't have the time. I'm so many things, but I, if you, if you've got 10 minutes in a day, my recommendation would always be take 10 minutes for one application and get one out. If you're uncomfortable with that, take five on two, but don't do 10 with one minute each. Your, your chances of success are so much lower and like the indicators of internet intentionality are so obvious that there's a lack of it. And so use that intentionality and make it clear. Use the same amount of time. You don't have to spend more time. Just be more effective with the time you use. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And I, I'm always very genuinely curious kind of how job seekers, or if they are at all, how they're reading the job descriptions and positions that they are deciding to apply to. You know, some application processes like in easy apply are easy. It's a click of the button. You send your application in unless they have extra forms or fields you need to fill out. But when you are looking and trying to be a little bit intentional about your job search, like what is the first thing you're looking at when you're looking at a job description? And how does that relate back to what you decide that you do or don't apply to? Yeah. I, I mean, a lot, I, I see it. And I, I see those posts. It's like I've applied to 500 jobs. I can tell you from looking at the teal data, it's about 10%. 10%. If you're not getting interviews, if you apply to 10 jobs and one doesn't get you a screening, there's something wrong. It can be you're applying to things you're just objectively not qualified for. If you feel truly that you are qualified, because I think there's a little bit of like disbelief sometimes, like that is going to the requirement section of the JD and that you can do yes, no, like checkbox, no gray, no 10%, no 15%, no 90%, yes, no. So if you can say yes to just the requirements section, not the whole JD, if you can say out of the hundred jobs I applied to, yes, all of those, okay, then there's something about your resume is, if you're not getting 10%, you are not communicating that on the resume. So step two is like, does this resume show that? Because like in my mind, I can be like, yeah, I have all those. If your resume is not showing it, then of course you're not going to get it. 
And it's just, it just doesn't make sense. There's something off. You're applying to jobs you're not qualified for. You're overshooting, undershooting. That's also a thing. We can, that's a whole nother separate episode on being like overqualified. Yeah, I don't need to get on my soapbox about, I could go on for hours about that one. <laughs> we'll have to do a second one on that one. We'll end on this. I mean, the, the transition, you know, you, you sort of talked about, you know, what, what's the right way to leave? As somebody who in my professional career, I can tell you one company that I loved out of every company I've ever worked for, one out of every company. I mean, I've been in the workforce for over a decade, professional workforce. I was doing service oriented positions prior. Anywho, there's, there's only one company that like I cried when I left because they were such great people. It was a great culture, but I just, I was moving to a new opportunity that was better aligned with like my long-term goals. So knowing that the rest of my companies were dumpster fires, to put it lightly. You know, I believe that in a transition, you hold the power and you have to think about the long-term future. Mm -hmm. So when you are leaving a position, no matter how much of a dumpster fire it is, no matter how much you want to cuss your boss out on the way out, tell your peer that threw you under the bus, that they're a huge sack of shit. Like, no matter (laughs) what, I try to exit gracefully. Um, because, you know, I have seen karma play out in ways for people that it's an exit that was not graceful, bit them in the ass. And that's Mm -hmm. unfortunate, but as, as a recruiter, past director of talent that would perform reference checks Mm -hmm. for professionals, you know, as somebody who has worked in industries that aren't that big. So everybody knows everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you don't have somebody listed on your reference sheet, like you want a graceful exit. So I wholeheartedly believe, you know, try to try to give a two weeks notice. I've given longer notices before. I want to not only, it's not just about giving your terrible, toxic boss the middle finger, but I like to think about my colleagues, you know, helping my transition out be smooth for them because I did value them and I want to make sure that their workloads aren't excessive. So I I full-heartedly believe trying to take the high road with good vibes on the way out Um, You never know when you can use those connections and networks to your advantage. But then also, I try to collect as much data as possible before I leave. So I want to know, like, if they'll share it with me, performance reviews that were positive, you can use that as on your resume. I want to pull all the data as far as hitting sales goals or metrics or KPIs. I want to know all that information because it's super useful in really talking about yourself for future opportunities. But high road, good vibes, even if it's a dumpster fire, it's always going to be the way out for me. Yeah, I agree. And I know that like the the sort of the auto response for the negative for that is like, well, they didn't give me two weeks. Why do I have to give them two weeks? And I think what I see there is it's people are connecting their relationship to the entity and not the individuals. And ultimately, your identity and your relationships are an asset that belong to you. That's yours. And so the more you can preserve those, and this isn't about like tit for tat. These are assets that belong to you. You, the whole burn bridges thing is real. And it can't be, it's like, well, I didn't say anything bad about them. 
Right, but there's a lot of like indirect and unintended consequences about actions like that. So it's like, well, I'm not going to hire that person. So for, for some reason, we do let them go and they go off the rails like, and they light me up, even though they didn't and we got along. Like that's just too much reputational risk for me. And I think a lot of people have to think about what are the impacts to the other person's career. And we're just not that risky when it comes to our careers. And we can't just go around giving people the benefit of the doubt on something that's going to ultimately affect my livelihood. And so that's not to say like, hey, just give companies a free pass if they had really bad behavior. There's other ways. There's other ways without actually hurting yourself and your ability to grow in the future. And so I get it. I get it. you want to hold companies accountable. I get not you, Laura, but like as the individual, you're pissed. The company was shitty and you know, it's like, well, why, why do I not get to do that? And it's not about that. It's actually about maintaining optionality for yourself. So something that I like to think about that really comforts me when I'm like, they don't deserve two weeks from me. These mm-hmm. people are jerks. Mm-hmm. Like my mental health is in the toilet because of them. Is I like to think about when I started that job, because likely your employer They gave you way more than two weeks because when you think about the cost to the employer, the point in time of you entering that organization and you being able to have a full plate and the full bandwidth to handle your roles and responsibilities and duties. If you were to think about how much they pay you and it's like you're giving. You get paid during your final two weeks. You're not giving them two weeks for free. Right. They probably, your your last two weeks, whatever that number amount is for your salary for those two weeks, I mean, they probably dumped thousands of thousands of thousands of dollars into onboarding and training you before you were even all the way up to par in your role just because they believed in you to enter. So even if it's a toxic organization and you just you want to pour gasoline on the dumpster fire on your way out, they have made a significant investment in believing you as a talent to bring you on board, even if it was a miserable experience to you. So technically, you probably owe them a little bit more than a two weeks, but definitely don't stay more than two weeks if you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's, it's really manage your reputation. That belongs to you. And that and those things linger and they last and people do talk. Uh, so it's not about like even owing. It's like it's about preserving your asset, which is your your network and your reputation. Absolutely. Well, Laura, that was awesome. Thank you. So many insightful nuggets. I know that you are active on various social media and putting out all sorts of really great tips and advice. How can folks follow along with all your great content? Yeah, for sure. So um, LinkedIn is my big one that I am posting on daily. You can see my dogs every Wednesday. They're really cute. I am on TikTok a little bit more inconsistent with my posting over there because I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I think on TikTok, I may be shadow banned a little bit because my tag is at cannabis recruiter um and they don't like that stuff over no there. maybe time to get a new uh a new tag and get some love from some of the other career talkers well this was awesome thank you so much we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes and uh yeah we'll see you on the next one awesome thanks so much dave I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at 
at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts if you'd like to be a guest. We're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We want to give people that inside view to what it looks like uh, you know, to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. Uh, and if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.